Okay, let's open our Bibles to the book of Isaiah, the 11th chapter. We just briefly went over the first nine verses of this 11th chapter. We want to uh, continue with our teaching on that, and then we'll get into the 12th, the Lord willing. But I would like for us tonight to, uh, this is a short chapter, and it has three main thoughts in it, and to just really deal with it a little more, I'd like to just go back to the first verse instead of picking up with verse 10. And uh, let me give you the three things we find in the 11th chapter of Isaiah. The three things. The coming king and his kingdom, and that's verses 1 through 5. And the peace and blessings that he brings, and of course that's concerning the millennium when Christ comes, is verses 6 through 10. And then, verses 10 through 16, you have the gathering of scattered Israel spoken of here. The gathering of scattered Israel. And, of course, it's associated with that same day. It says, in that day, in verse 10, there shall be a root out of Jesse. And that's spoken of also in verse 1. So, uh, it's all tied together as the, the second coming of Christ. So, in verse 1, let's read it again, and we will uh, find out that uh, this gives a vision of the future uh, as it unfolds, and it shows that it is the Lord Jesus Christ that is in view, and uh, we'll find a lot of things about it as we look at this chapter again. We got down to about verse 9, but in a very hurried way. In chapter 11, verse 1, it says, There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. It seems as if that uh, the house of David, or Israel at this time, has become so... Um, far away from God that uh, the Lord is going back to the original, to Jesse, the father of David. And of course Christ is to sit upon the throne of his father David and of his kingdom there shall be no end. But the Lord is speaking here as if all the nation was rather null and void in a sense that they had not the standing that they had before. And so this root or this stem that rises out of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots is speaking of Christ as if he's the renewed David, or coming forth as a fresh branch from the roots from which David from whence David uh, came. And it says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. We tried to illustrate this second verse in our last lesson, as if uh, it speaks here of Christ, and he's the central branch of the seven-branched candlestick. This might be a way to illustrate it. It's not that the candlestick itself represents this, but it's a way that we might illustrate it. That he's the central branch of the seven-branched candlestick. And the, the, uh, the, uh, the spirit of wisdom and understanding are like uh, dual branches. And there's a threefold qualification if you see the bottom two branches out of this central branch, this would be like the uh, spirit of wisdom and understanding. And then the next two branches would be like the spirit of counsel and might. And by the way, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, if you'll remember, Christ is spoken of as the one that's a uh, mighty God. He's spoken of as the, one, uh, the, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. So these tie in with His rule and reign as king and uh, of righteousness. And we'll get that in a little bit. And then the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Another two branches out of this seven-branch candlestick to illustrate what we're talking about. 
And it's all found in the person of Jesus Christ because we find that the Father gives not the Spirit by measure unto Him. He's the full manifestation of all that the Holy Spirit uh, reveals to us and all the things about the Holy Spirit that we need to know. And in Him, all of these uh, traits, all of these characteristics dwell. He is wisdom and understanding. He is uh, counsel and might. He is knowledge and, the fear, and of the fear of the Lord. And if you remember, the Bible teaches in the Psalms and in the Proverbs as well that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So wisdom is attached to that and, and understanding as well. So knowledge is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom. So these things are perfect, in perfect harmony with what we studied about uh, previous in other sections of the Psalms and Proverbs. Now then, in verse 3 it says, And shall make him of quick understanding. That means he will have a quick understanding. He'll have discernment. And it says, And he shall uh, quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. A whole lot of things are included in this verse. First of all, his way of judgment. He's going to judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. He's going to take care of the poor and the meek. And he's also going to judge with the rod of his mouth the wicked and the breath of his lips. In fact, this is referring to the second coming of Christ when he shall come and, and shall judge that wicked one. And then shall that wicked one, Paul tells in Second Thessalonians 2 verse 8, be revealed whom the Lord shall consume. Remember? Let me read it for you. In Second uh, Thessalonians 2 verse 8 it says, um, And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan. And he's speaking of a future time in the book of Revelation. We can refer to, to the Antichrist that will be destroyed as Jesus comes in power and great glory and brings judgment. And so, right here in this verse, in Isaiah 11, verse 4, it tells that this judgment will come upon the wicked as well as the, the uh, uh, justice with righteousness that he's going to, to take care of the poor and and the meek of the earth. In verse 5 it says, And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we had rulers, kings, judges, presidents, or uh, congressmen, or any, any leaders today, that the righteousness, the righteous, and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. And then it says, in verses 6 through 9, we'll find the peace that will be brought when Jesus does come. What kind of peace will we have? It says, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. In other words, here's the lifting of enmity between beast and beast creation. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling uh, together, and a little child shall lead them. And a cow and the bear shall feed. Their young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Instead of going out in the forest and in the, in the wild and killing another animal to eat, he will what? Eat straw like the ox. 
See, all of that kind of a system will be done away with. And the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den, or the adder's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That will be a time of peace and righteousness. We read of it in the 20th chapter of the book of Revelation, the millennium we call it. We read of of Christ coming and ruling among men. And we know at that time, he's going to bring in Israel that is scattered and, and bring them out of the tribulation and a final regathering into a rule of peace and righteousness. He's going to gather them that are scattered to the four corners of the earth. This is a little bit different than the Zionist movement that says Israel was regathered in 1948. Now, Israel went back to their homeland. There was a nation established, but this is not the gathering he's speaking about here because they're still in unbelief. And even though they're there, it's just uh, a preparation for the future regathering from the four winds. It says from the four corners of the earth. And there will be a final regathering. It'll say, it says a second down here in, in this passage before we get through, uh, if I can find it. Verse, verse 11 that we're reading the second time to recover the remnant of his people. So it says, in verse 10, it, sh- it shall be, uh, or in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, verse 10, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. And to it shall the Gentiles seek. He's not only going to be an instant instant, uh, for the people. The people usually speaks of his own people, Israel. And then it says, to it or to him, he's the one that will be the instant, shall the Gentiles seek and his feet shall be, and his rest shall be glorious. His rest shall be glorious. So here's the rest that's coming to both Jews and Gentiles. There will be Gentiles saved during the tribulation period. And at the end of the tribulation period, we know that there's going to be a regathering and a reestablishment of his people in a millennial reign, rule and reign upon the earth. It's going to tell that the people that he's going to save is, are going to come from every direction. In verse uh, 11, it shall come to pass in that day. Notice in verse 10 it says, in that day. Verse 11 says in that day that the Lord shall set his hand against the, again the second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt, from Papyrus and from Cush and from Elam and from Shinar and from Hamath and from the islands of the sea. Now there's more included here than the literal uh, recovering of the nation and people out of Assyrian and then later Babylonian captivity. There's more involved in that. So we know it has to refer to a future time. And he shall set up an instant for the nations and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. So he's going to do the gathering. It speaks of a greater gathering than the voluntary return of many of the Jews to the land uh, of Palestine, to the Holy Land during this day and age of grace that have already returned. It speaks of a more elaborate and a more complete gathering, and he's going to gather them from the four corners of the earth. The envy also of of Ephraim shall depart, and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. 
Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not vex Ephraim. Israel will be completely reunited. There will not be the division and the separation. That still exists among them. And so, of course, Ephraim is spoken of as the ten tribes. Usual reference to them. And Judah is the two tribes that are separated. And they will no longer be a separated nation, but they will be reunited. Notice it says that adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah. And Judah shall not vex Ephraim. But they shall fly upon the shoulders of the Philistine toward the west. They shall spoil them of the east together. They shall lay their hand upon Edom and Moab. And the children of Ammon shall obey them. You're going to find that even these cursed nations, the Ammonites were, but the Edom and Moab, they're all going to be more or less repentant and return and uh, saved out of their situation. You know, might say that uh, in the book of Ruth, Ruth represents a person that was saved from the curse of the law by Boaz. Remember, she was under the curse of the law because the Edomites and the Moabites, Ruth the Moabites, was a cursed generation and a cursed people. And Therefore, she was saved in spite of the fact that she was a cursed person. And she was saved by Boaz. And so even you and I, we fit in the same category. We're all under the curse of God because we all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. And so he's redeemed us from the curse of the law, being what? Made a curse for us. And so Christ is our Boaz to redeem us who had no standing before God. But here, in verse 15 and 16, it says, And the Lord shall utterly utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptian sea. And this refers to the tongue-shaped body of water, or a bay. It's referred to in Joshua 15.25 and 18.19. And with his mighty wind shall he shake his hand over the river, the river is the river Euphrates, and shall smite in... It in the seven streams, so it will be divided into seven streams, and men shall and make men go over dry shod. In the book of Revelation, chapter sixteen, verse twelve, it speaks of the river Euphrates that God will make away. Let's see, sixteen twelve, it says, and the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. So God prepares a way for an invading army during uh, the tribulation period to come in. And uh, the river is usually referred to as the river Euphrates. And But in the midst of all that, God is going to have a way for His people. Now look, in verse 16, there shall be an highway for the remnant of His people. There's going to be a way for God's people to escape Judgment, tribulation, the onslaughts of, of all that would uh, try to pursue them. There shall be an highway for the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria. Like as it was to Israel in the day that he, that he came up out of the land of Egypt. So what's he saying? That there's going to be a future deliverance for his people, just similar to that deliverance when he delivered them from the land of Egypt. That he's going to open up the sea 
He's going to make a way for them to go over dry shod, as it says in verse 15. Now then, in chapter 12, it naturally follows something that's similar to that. The song that is sung, here the nation is visualized and viewed as praising God together in a singular manner, much as they did when they were delivered out of Egypt. So in chapter 12, we have a very short uh, song, and it's a song of praise for their deliverance. And it's, it's really related and associated with the same kind of deliverance as they had when they were delivered out of Egypt. But notice it's compared to that day, a future day. But it's similar to a past day. Look in verse 1. It says, And in that day, it's referring to a future day, Thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee, though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. So he's going to be the comfort of his people, and they're going to praise. And notice it says, I will praise thee. So here the whole nation is viewed as praising God together. In a singular way. But what are they saying? Verse 2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. This echoes from Exodus 15.2. The song of deliverance at the Red Sea. Remember after they were delivered from uh, Pharaoh's power and Egyptian bondage, they sang a song. And in the book of Exodus 15, it's much as you read here. It says, The Lord is my strength and song, and He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare Him an habitation. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. And that's what they were singing, the song of Moses, after the deliverance. So, hold your place in Isaiah 12, verse 2, and we see much the same and similar song of a future deliverance that is, that is spoken of and pointed to, because it's pointing to the fact in that day, and this same nation and this same people will be saying, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. In verse 3, he says, it says, Therefore will with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. They will draw water out of the wells of salvation. God gave them water out of the wells, out of the flinty rock, and he made wells for them after their deliverance in the Old Testament. In fact, in uh, Exodus 17, you'll find them needing water, and they were given water, and God gave them water. He told Moses, you know, to stand upon the rock in Horeb and smite the rock, and there would water come out of it that the people may drink. Exodus 17 let me read a little bit for you. Uh, no, yeah, six seventeen. If I can get it, got some pages stuck together, and that's why I can't. Now I got it. It says, "All the congregation of Israel." This is seventeen one. Journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeyings according to the commandment of the Lord, and pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. No water. And it says, Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up 
out of, the, out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst. You know, when God's people have everything they want and everything they need, it's pretty easy to go along and, and kind of uh, at least be reasonably thankful. But when things turn bad, do we always we turn upon our leaders, we turn upon God, and, and we become angry with the very one that's able to bring the blessing again. And that's what they were doing. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. Well, there was a pastor that needed some help, wasn't he? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people. Just go on before the people. And take with thee of the elders of Israel, and thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thine hand, and go. Behold, I will stand before thee, there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? On down in verse uh, 9, Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. You come to another temptation that they have with Amalek. Immediately after they're filled with, with the thirst, their thirst is quenched, they're filled with the water that God has provided. And uh, then immediately after that, they have another problem. It says, Then came Amalek. You see, uh, Jesus told the woman of Samaria, said, If you had asked him, the one that you're speaking to, he would have given you living water. She say, said, Sir, give me of this water that I... Uh, thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And the Bible teaches that Jesus gave her that living water. And after we've received the living water, after we've received all the blessings of God, it seems then that the Amalek, that's the type of the flesh, comes in and he starts giving us trouble. And so then came Amalek. Immediately after God's blessings of uh, resting upon us, we find that the flesh enters in and tries to get the advantage. And that's what Amalek was a picture of. Well, that's another story. Back in uh, Isaiah chapter 12. In verse 3 it says, Therefore with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. And it, verse 4 says, And in that day shall you say, Praise the Lord, call upon His name, declare His doings among the people, make mention of His uh, name, uh, that His name is exalted. Cause to remember, make mention. That his name is exalted. The singer will be, the singers will be the people of Jerusalem, and the focus of their praise will be God, whose sacred presence is with them, because He's going to be with them, and they're going to be rejoicing in Him. It says, "Sing unto the Lord, for He hath done excellent things." Listen, that is known in all the earth. Cry aloud and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. And so he will be in their midst in the future time. So, first, chapter 11 and chapter 12 tie together. You have Christ, the branch, the promise of Christ coming. You have the millennium. You have him regathering Israel together. You have many Gentiles saved. You have uh, the, the nations and the people uh, around about saved. And then you have a song of praise by his own people in chapter 12. And then in chapter 13, 
we have three things that I want to point out to you. The burden of Babylon would be the title. And then in verses 1 through 5, you have Jehovah's call to the judgment of to the judgment of Babylon. He's going to judge Babylon. And then verses 6 through 16, the day of Jehovah when Babylon falls. And then verses 17 through 21, Babylon overthrown. Three sections. 1 through 5, 6 through 16, and 17 through 21. Now then, this is the first of a series of prophecies against foreign nations. The first one. He's going to... In chapter 13, there is Babylon that he has in view. In chapter 14, and uh, there's Assyria and also Philistia that's in view. In chapter 15, there's Moab. In chapter uh, 17, there's Damascus. And uh, chapter 18 is the land beyond the rivers of Ethiopia. And chapter 19 is Egypt. And chapter 20 is Assyria's conquest. And in chapter 21, the desert areas. In chapter 23, you have Tyre. And so you have prophecies against ten different nations and ten different groups of, of uh, nations that will be judged. Remember in the book of Amos that he judged various nations. There were six heathen nations that Amos said God would judge. And then he came to Judah and then he came to Israel. Remember, he started out and he says, for three transgressions and for four. And he did uh, Moab and Edom and various other nations, Philistia, different, and Syria. And Amos really covers a lot of the same ones we're talking about here. So when Amos the prophet, he said, for three transgressions and four, God said, I will not turn away the punishment thereof. And to every one of them, he said this very same thing. Six heathen nations round about Judah and Israel. And then, after he does that, and you know, you and I have a similar way of accepting it, when God is judging heathen and ungodly and sinful nations or pe- people round about us, that's not so bad. But when he comes back to us, it's a different story, isn't it? So he says, finally, after the six heathen nations, he says, for, for three transgressions of Judah and for four... That's coming home, isn't it? I will not turn away the punishment thereof. And then he says, for three transgressions of Israel. I believe he goes Israel first and then Judah. But he gets both of them. I will not turn away the punishment thereof. And when he says, for three transgressions and for four, he's showing that they had tipped the scales as far as sin is concerned, and judgment was determined because of they would not repent. You know, God will only go so far until he has to bring judgment. God will put up with only so much in the lives of people until finally God says, that's enough. God's patience ran out in the days of Noah, didn't it? With the whole world. And God's patience ran out with Sodom and Gomorrah, the book of Genesis. And God's patience is going to run out with a wicked world in a day in the future. And he's going to say, that's enough. So you and I better keep... And with individuals... I wonder if he does not... Jeremiah tells us he deals with nations and he deals, deals with individuals on the same principles many times. If that nation will repent, he says, then I'll turn away from the evil that I would do to them, the judgment that I would bring. And he says, if that person would repent, I'll do the same thing. So we're dealt with in many instances as nations are dealt with. 
So we need to take the lesson. That you say, well, that has to do with a wicked nation. Well, it also has to do with a wicked man. It also has to do with individuals. And so we put ourselves in the place where we realize that when God judges, it's an example of what he will do for nations, for people as a whole, and for individuals. And so this chapter has to do with the burden of Babylon. In chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, it's Jehovah's call to the judgment of Babylon. And we'll deal with this first section, and then we'll talk about the second section of it, which is the day of Jehovah, the day of the Lord. When it says the day of the Lord is hand, it's a day of judgment. That's verse 6. We'll deal with that and when Babylon falls. But let's look at the first verses. Verse 5. Uh, first five verses. It says, The burden of Babylon which Isaiah the son of Amos did see. Now he's seeing more than this immediate burden of Babylon. There's a, there's a deliverance from Babylonian captivity that is in view. But this is only a picture of the greater Babylon that is spoken of in the book of Revelation, and I believe you find it in chapters uh, 17 and 18. The great judgments announced are only partially fulfilled in the past. And they, these judgments that are announced have to do with uh, the Medes that come in in verse uh, 17, I believe it is. Behold, I will stir up the Medes against them. And the and then verse 19, And Babylon, the glory of the kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldees, excellent, shall, shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. So the, the fulfillment, the announcement of these judgments in the past are only a partial fulfillment. And the judgment of Babylon is meant here first, but the Babylon of the past is a type of the Babylon of the future, another mistress of the ecclesiastical and political or commercial Babylon, commercial world, that will rise during the book of Revelation that we have and during the tribulation. And it is, it is yet to appear in its final form. That's Revelation chapter 17 and 18. And its fall comes in the day of the Lord. Just like you read in verse 6. How ye for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. And so its, its final destruction will come in the day of the Lord. And this great day is described in verses 6 through 16 in this chapter, the day of the Lord. So let's look at the first five verses again. It says, The burden of Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos did see. Lift ye up the banner upon the high mountain. Exalt the voice unto him, unto them. Shake the hand that they may go into the gates of the nobles. Because of the conquerors coming in from Babylon, they would have to Flee unto the gates of the nobles for a refuge. The conquerors from Babylon have arrived. And it says in verse 3, I have commanded my sanctified ones. I have also called my mighty ones for mine anger, even them that rejoice in my highness. People that were designated for God's purpose, for war. The word sanctified ones doesn't mean sanctified as we think in the Christian sense of the word. But they were set apart for God's purpose in, for war. Verse 4 says, The noise of a multitude in the mountains, like as, the, like as of a great people, a tumultuous noise of the kingdoms of nations gathered together. And this was caused, this uh, great noise of the kingdoms of nations caused by the advancing army, the enemies of Babylon, and it says, The Lord of hosts mustereth the host of the battle. 
You see, God's going to gather all the nations together, as Zechariah tells us, for a battle in the future. And it says in verse 5, They shall come from a far country, from the end of heaven, even the Lord, and even the Lord and the weapons of his indignation to destroy the whole land. We don't know what awaits during the tribulation period, but when you read the book of Revelation from chapter 6 on through 19, you'll find that there's a lot of, a lot of uh, judgment that takes place. And then verses 6 through 16, the day of Jehovah, when Babylon falls, is spoken of. Howl ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand, the day of the Lord's vengeance upon Babylon. This was also, we said, a picture of the, the fall of Babylon in the Old Testament, but it's a picture of the future. It's a future day of divine judgment. This sixth verse includes a fulfillment, historically, that God would judge Babylon, but it also looks to a future day of divine judgment upon the Babylon of the book of Revelation. And notice what it says very specifically in verse 6. Howl ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand. Remember the Bible speaks of that future day of Jehovah and the day of the Lord coming. And there's a day of darkness and a day of judgment. A day of sorrow. All through the prophets it's spoken of as a, as a day of dimness. A dismal day. A bad day. And it shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. Therefore shall all the hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt, because they will be caught off guard. When sudden destruction cometh upon them, we find that there is that kind of destruction that comes upon the sinner. He thinks that everything is going all right. Nations have thought that everything is going all right, and suddenly they destroyed. Cities have thought that everything was going all right, and suddenly they were destroyed. Individual men have thought that everything is going all right and suddenly they're destroyed. The Bible says that he that being he being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. You know, we we see people in this life and we do not know really how their relationship is with God. And we see people cut off with various in various ways and we say, Well, what a tragedy. But we don't know what all was going on between that person and the Lord. Some are in the form of judgments, I'm sure. Uh, the Bible teaches that very thing. Even though God is merciful and long-suffering, and He willeth not the death of any. But on the other hand, we find that fi- finally judgment must come upon men. I've got my suspicions that certain families of our nation from time to time have been judged for that very reason. Because God gets fed up, and He does bring judgment. How ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand, it shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. Therefore shall all hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt, and they shall be afraid, stricken with sudden fear. Have you ever heard people boast that, you know, they don't fear, they do not fear God. You read Psalm 73, and it says, The wicked, the fear of God is not before them, that they speak out against the heavens, and they say, How does God know? And they curse God and everything else. And the psalmist was almost almost thrown by their attitude. And it does, you and I, almost throw us sometimes, doesn't it? When we see the way wicked men respond to God and to the things of God. And they say God doesn't know anything about it. There's no God. And, and 
The Bible tells us, it gives us a turning point in that 73rd Psalm. It says, until I went into the sanctuary of the Lord, then understood I their end, that I set them in slippery places. Another scripture says, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, right now, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. What does that mean? A guy will say, well, if God, you know, if there is a God, he could just smite me down. Right now. Well, I wouldn't want to say that. But on the other hand, just because he doesn't do it now doesn't mean he can't do it later. He's got all the time there is. You see, he's in no hurry. You and I get in a hurry and we get in a panic. Whether it's in doing good or doing bad, we get in a panic. But God has got all the time there is. With God, all, all time is just one big now. Just one great big now. From eternity past till eternity future. And you and I see things a moment at a time, a day at a time, an hour at a time, a minute at a time, even a second at a time. So, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart, one heart, of the sons of men, plural, one heart, sinful heart, of all the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. And only the only exception to that rule is by the grace of God, uh, we have a heart changed, We have a new heart given to us, and we live in a different way than the old carnal, fleshly human nature. And that makes the difference. In verse 8, it says, And they shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrow shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that travaileth. They shall be amazed one at another. Their faces shall be as flames. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger. God's judgments are never pleasant. To lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. The distress of war and divine judgment is spoken of, for the stars of heaven and consolations thereof shall not give their light. It says, The sun shall be darkened in his going forth. The moon shall not cause her light to shine. And I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy, Babylon's sin, in the latter time as well as in the time when it's spoken of in the book of Daniel there. Their arrogancy was spoken of. We'll give you that reference the next lesson, the Lord willing. Because in Daniel 4, verses 30 and 31, you'll find where the arrogancy of that king was brought down. And finally, judgment in chapter 5 was brought upon the Chaldeans. Let's uh, stop with verse uh, 11 because there's a lot more to say about verse 11 and 12. We'll pick up in Isaiah chapter 13, verse 11. 